welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is kyle michel from apt capital group welcome kyle thanks for having me on rama i'm excited to be here thanks for being on the show a little bio about kyle Kyle Michel is a managing partner of APT Capital Group whose passion is in helping others reach their goals in all areas of life by doing things the right way and creating long-lasting relationships based on trust and clarity. Kyle has been investing in income-producing real estate since 2010 and currently manages and operates 17 million in multifamily assets in the Arizona markets. Kyle is also a licensed real estate agent and has been a successful business operator and owner for more than 17 years. With that Kyle, would you like to add anything to your background? Um no, I think that's pretty good. I I guess the only thing that I would add is uh previous to um previous to investing in real estate full time, I was a regional manager for a golf management company, so a lot of what you do on a day in day out basis of managing apartments, I was doing for another asset class which is you know golf courses so i would uh build budgets manage people i uh, had over 250 employees and then you know my main job was building systems to make the business more efficient great so how did you start into real estate and multifamily yeah real estate was back in 2010 and that's when i had my full time job as a regional manager and i really loved what i did back then so i wasn't really actually looking to leave my my job and go full time into real estate i was just looking for some passive income And so at that point I started um buying some single family homes in the Midwest and getting some passive income from those which worked out okay but um you know I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later uh they did not scale the way I wanted to they didn't exactly go the way I wanted to so I started looking at some other stuff and then in 2017 is where I made the leap to go full time into multifamily but essentially I was looking for another career in about 2015 2016 when um you know the golf business was shrinking my company was shrinking there wasn't enough room for growth and so i started looking for other alternative uh careers that i can jump into real estate made sense i had my real estate license i had been investing for 6 or 7 years and uh i was just looking for different career paths within real estate that i could take and that's when i found multifamily and the light bulb just went off for me i understood it because of what i did previously at the golf course like i said building systems, hiring, firing, building budgets, managing people, doing all those types of things. And so, uh it spoke to me and uh, you know, 11 months after I found multifamily, I ended up leaving my full-time job to pursue that full-time. Awesome. How many assets and units your company currently controls? Yeah, currently we control 170 units, uh two properties in the Phoenix and Tucson market, 17 million under management. So, what are your focus markets and what is the reason? Focus markets is Arizona in general, uh Phoenix and Tucson mainly. We'll sometimes look at and when I say Phoenix, I mean greater Phoenix. So if you know that area, Mesa, you know, Gilbert, Chandler, Scottsdale, uh Glendale even. So all those markets. But the reason is, you know, besides the fact that it's just a very strong market from an economic standpoint and everything you want in a market, rent growth, job growth, wage growth, population growth, job diversity which is a huge one for us and something that Phoenix and Tucson were not great at in 2008 they actually took a pretty big hit in 08 
because they're heavily reliant on construction jobs. But over the last 10, 12 years, they've done a nice job of balancing their job diversity. And, and that's one of the reasons why we like them very much. The other thing that we uh, took into consideration was proximity. I live in Southern California and we're the main lead sponsors and asset managers on our properties. And so we wanted to have a market that was close enough to be able to both drive and to fly to just in case we need to be there. So, you know, there's other great markets out there, but I'm not going to invest in a market like Florida because it's, there's only one way to get there and that's to fly. And then you have the time change to deal with. And so basically you've got to stay out there just two days, just for travel time. I can be in Arizona in five hours and at our property in five hours. And so that's a, a huge benefit. I wouldn't say it's the main reason that we invest in Arizona because you certainly want to make sure you have a strong market, but it is a, a factor that we took into consideration when we were choosing our market. Right. And what's your investment criteria for selecting a deal? Yeah. So our investment criteria right now is a hundred plus units, although our first property was a little bit smaller. Sometimes we'll go a little bit under hundred units if it makes sense from a scale perspective, meaning if it's right next to one of our current properties, right? And so then we can get some leverage with payroll and, and sharing expenses and things like that. But typically it's 100 plus units, B2C value add investments, 1980s or newer. Okay, great. Well, once you acquire the property, what kind of business plan uh, your group will implement? Yeah, we, um, you know, we really like to find properties with operational inefficiency. Me and my business partner have a, lo a strong background in management and operations. And so we have, that's kind of our secret sauce is to go into a property and really make it more efficient from an operation standpoint. So we look for deficiencies there, but the thing that we like to do first right off the bat is tackle deferred maintenance, the things that are, you know, creating the expenses, the day-to-day -day, day -day expenses to go up like plumbing issues, roof issues with leaks, things like that, HVAC issues. So any deferred maintenance we'll tackle right away. And then we also focus on curb appeal. I think it's important, especially if you're going to keep the resident base that you have in place. Um, if you're going to turn them over, this is a different story, but typically we want to keep the resident base for the most part. It's important to put money back into the property, show them that you care about the property and before you start, you know, raising the rents too much. So you don't want to go in there, raise the rents and then do work three months later, because most of your residents are not going to like that. They're not going to understand why you're doing it. But if you start with tackling deferred maintenance first, getting all the service calls that are coming in and work orders attended to right away so that the residents see that you're putting, you know, your best foot forward and then putting some money into the look, feel and safety of the property from a curb appeal standpoint, they're much more likely to stay and turnover is one of your biggest expenses, if not your biggest expense. So it allows for less turnover if you focus on it that way. So we always focus on deferred maintenance and curb appeal first. Right. So how do you raise capital for your deals? Yeah, raising capital, you know, is completely different than managing apartments, for sure. They're two different industries, in a sense, and uh, we had to learn that way. But when we first got started in multifamily, we started building our investor list. So even before we did our first raise, we had been building our list for 18 months, you know, and we continue to add different channels of getting capital right now. But it started very simply with starting a meetup and talking to friends and family and that then went into a podcast. Then it start, Then we started two more meetups. And all during that time too, we had our monthly newsletters that we would do on a consistent basis, uh, communicating to people. 
And now we've got two podcasts, you know, three meetups, we do webinars, and then we also have a virtual asset management summit coming up in September that we are launching as well, just to get more attention on ourselves and, um, you know, attract more investors and more people. Great. So who manages your properties? We have a third party property management company that manages the properties, but myself and my business partner manage the managers. And so we're the asset managers on all the calls and managing the business plan and executing and all that. But we do hire third party property management out in the Arizona market. We're lucky enough that this company it has good size and scale, um, but also manages in both of our markets, both Tucson and Phoenix. And so we like them a lot. They've done a really nice job for us and we'll continue to use them. So what is your process for selecting a property management company? Yeah, our process. So we're not that firm that invests in, you know, six or seven different markets and just finds a good deal in a good market and then picks that up. We're very relationship driven and uh, we really want to know the market by, you know, like the back of our hand. And so we are very just market specific, we only operate in two markets. So we spent four or five months vetting out property management companies. I think people that invest in multiple markets don't have that flexibility or or time. But when we first vetted the market, we were talking with property management companies, we interviewed probably eight to 10 different ones based on referrals, and you know, narrowed it down to a top three. And after time, you know, when you're touring properties with them and talking to them on the phone, you really get a sense of how they communicate with you, their management style. And so we ended up selecting one based off that criteria and then also visiting their properties that they managed. And we really liked how they managed their properties. So, you know, it came down to a a final two at the end and we're happy with the decision that we made. But the vetting process was several months of back and forth and communication with that property management company. Right. So what's your communication process once you acquire the properties? With the property management company? Yes. Yeah, I would say, so we're in COVID right now. So we email back and forth almost daily. Um, and we get reporting now twice a week on our properties. But uh, in a general uh, pre-COVID uh, environment, it's Mondays. Every Monday, we have a call with our property management company going over everything from our numbers. And we get probably seven or eight reports a week. And then we also look at our KPIs uh, every day. But um, every Monday, we'll review kind of how last week went, what the business plan is, how we're executing the business plan over the last few months how leads are coming in, where market rents are. So we'll go over everything uh, we need to from um, a business plan perspective and performance perspective with a property management company. And then pre-COVID, my business partner and I would fly out actually every other week to Arizona. It's not quite that often now. We're probably out there once a month and we'll, we'll swing by the property, spend the 30 minutes to an hour there. Once property stabilized, we don't spend that much time there. But during the stabilization phase and the value add phase, we're certainly there more often than not. Cool. So what kind of reportings you will get and what kind of KPIs you will track? Yeah, so there's about 50 different KPIs we track. So I, you know, I don't know them all off the top of my head, but a lot of the KPIs that we like to see is how collections are tracking for the month, how many leads we're getting, and then the conversion of those leads, I think is a huge one because it all comes down to leasing and income, right? If your incomes are hitting your numbers, things are probably going to go fairly well for you. So we want to make sure the leasing team is doing their job. So Where are those leads coming from? How are the conversions from each of those sites that we're on, whether that's Facebook Marketplace, apartments.com, or even Craigslist for that matter. And then, you know, we track how many leads we have and then how many of those leads go into appointments and then how many of those appointments go into showings and then how many of those showings go into 
um, applications and then eventually leases. And we want to make sure that we're tracking those not just day over, or week over week, but kind of for the last three months, four months even, to make sure that the conversion ratios are improving and you f go from there and help coach the leasing agent to, to do a better job really in that area and understand why or why not as far as why those conversion rates are either higher or not high. So those are two of the things that we track that we really like. NOI obviously is something we track over the last six months, six to 12 months. Um, and then, you know, there's several other different KPIs that you can definitely track and keep an eye of. But the biggest thing on KPIs is being able to track and measure performance so that you can, you know, identify bottlenecks and pivot and adjust your business plan accordingly. Great. What kind of systems are sought with uh, your property management company will use? Property management company uses uh, Yardi. Um, and so we have our, um, we actually use RealPage for our um, KPIs and RealPage integrates with Yardi to produce the KPIs that we want to see. But the property management company uses a system called Yardi, which we have access to and we can check on, you know, all different things like leases and, and applicants and leads and things like that. So any challenges during COVID uh, period? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone that says they haven't had a challenge is... Um, you know, probably not being honest. It's certainly been a challenge. Have our properties performed above the standard? Yeah, our Tucson property actually has had the four best months NOI since we owned it. Phoenix property, um, still collecting 93, 94% of the rents, but there's a handful of residents that are taking advantage of the situation that are not communicating with us. There's also another handful that have been severely impacted by this and are on rental assistance and need help with payments and are on payment plans. And so it's certainly completely uh, turned around how we manage the properties, how we speak with our guests. Obviously we're doing virtual tours now versus in-person tours. So marketing is much different than it was three months ago. Uh, there's not as much walk-in traffic as there was. So, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier too, is you, you always need to be able to pivot. And, um, you know, COVID certainly done that to everyone in the industry and forced everyone to kind of pivot on, on how they execute their business plan. Right. So would you like to share any of your best and worst experiences with asset management? Sure. I can share my worst experience. Um, and this is pre-multifamily. This is really single-family homes, but I was buying single-family turnkeys. And my, my mistake was I didn't follow my rules of real estate investing at that time. I started chasing cash flow. And that's a big problem um, when you just don't stick to your criteria. So, you know, I was buying in uh, states that were landlord friendly and I wasn't making as much cash flow as I wanted to. So I started looking at other markets and I didn't even, I didn't even check to see if this market was landlord friendly. I just saw the cash flow and I said, holy cow, that cash flow is enough to, you know, offset um, anything else bad about that, that market. And this was what, seven, eight years ago. And that was a mistake. I chased cash flow and cash flow does not always come in, you know. Um, so that market is Chicago um, and it's not landlord friendly at all. And um, unfortunately, you know, I had uh, four houses there and all four were going through eviction at one point. And then I did not fire my property management company quick enough. So they say, hire slow, fire fast. I took too, too long to, to fire the, that property management company that really did a poor job managing my properties. And uh, as a result, I struggled with those for about 18 months. So how long uh, normally your group will held the properties? Uh, our 
so we always have multiple exit plans and I think that's important because you never know how the market's going to react over the next five years. But typically we'll underwrite a deal for a five to six year hold. That will be our main number one kind of goal and exit plan, exit strategy. But from there, we'll always also uh, take a look at things like a refinance in years two or three um, to cash out some of the investors. And, you know, they obviously still keep their equity in the deal, but get some capital back to the, to the uh, investors or sell earlier or maybe hold on to it because the things uh, cash flowing pretty heavily. So it really depends on what the market is. But what I'll tell you is that we always look at the velocity of our investors money. And depending on you know, the given situation, if we can get more velocity by refinancing or if we can get more velocity out of selling earlier, um, then that's what we'll do. Uh, but typically it's a five-year hold. So uh, would you like to share any your best apartment investing experience so far? Yeah, so I would say it's it, it was our first deal. Um, actually, we bought that one about 14 months ago. Um, knock on wood, it's under contract for sale already. Uh, we still got a long way to go on, on closing it, but it's just been an amazing experience because... We've been able to raise the market rents on that property six times. We're 98 to 100% occupied. And for a first investment, it's really gone pretty smoothly. And it's really educated us on how we want to execute our business plans going forward um, and given us the confidence that we wanted and needed um, to really get, you know, grow our business. Right. So any challenges you faced during early stages of your multifamily journey and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think, you know, there's always challenges and it's getting on the same. One of the challenges I would say is getting on the same page as property management all the time. You know, they're your partners and you're working through the business plan and executing it. Uh, but sometimes you want to do things a little bit differently than they're used to doing. And so it's about coaching and educating and um, helping them understand what your goal is. And it's all about communication. Um, and being as transparent as possible. But property management companies don't always want to change. And that's been one of the uh, big challenges. We've gotten there with them, but it takes a little bit of time and training and coaching. Cool. So and what is your current focus? And is something that you're currently excited about? Yeah, I'm excited about our virtual asset management summit. Um, if you don't mind me talking about that, it's a, it's a free summit, completely free. But I think there's a gap in the market right now where everyone's learning how to get your first deal and how to get into apartments and start investing and no one knows what to do once they get the deal. How do you manage the deal? You know, how do you, if you bought an apartment over the last 10 years, you probably could have done everything wrong and still made money because the market was so strong. But what do you do when the market's not so strong? And how do you manage to get the most NOI out of your property? How do you manage a property to get its most efficiency? And not a lot of people are teaching that. And so I'm really excited to offer our free summit to help educate people, whether they're passive investors or active investors, how to get better at asset management. You know, what do you do with leases and, and how do you market your property better and how do you manage the manager and all these different types of things that we're talking about. How do you build a team better to, to help you manage better? So um, we're really excited for that. And um, that is something coming up in September. You can go to amsummit2020.com. And it's actually a 14-day event. We've got 30-plus speakers. And uh, that's the thing I am most excited about right now. Thanks for sharing that, Kyle. So what is the best advice you have received? The best advice I've received, you know, um, 
that I could do it. I, I think it was a whole mindset shift when I first got saw multifamily. And that's why I probably bought single families for, for much longer than I needed to or wanted to, because it's, it's all about a mindset shift. I, I never thought in my own mind that I'd be buying, you know, $15 million apartment buildings. Um, if you told me that five years ago, I'd say you're out of your mind. And, it, you know, the, the advice is get out of your own head. And, it's been the best advice I've received. So any advice you want to give to our audience? Yeah, it, it, for, for me, it's been the key to my success has been consistency. Um, and I think that if you're consistent, you can separate yourself from 95% of your competition because consistency is not common. Um, and so when I say consistency, it's with everything that we kind of do, whether it's our newsletter that goes out on the first of every month for the last two and a half years at 10 a.m., you know, to the same time date on our meetups to, you know, our investor communication goes out on the same day, same time of the month, every month. And so it's all about consistency. And if, like I said earlier, if you can be consistent in everything that you can do, everything that you do, you're going to separate yourself very quickly from others. So true. So any personal habits that contributes to your success? Yeah, I'm a miracle morning type of person. So if you know what that is, I have my version of it. But you know, it's, it's waking up in the morning and really focusing on myself. Um, and putting myself in the right uh, frame of mind before I get into my work day. So whether that's, you know, it's exercising, reading, meditating a little bit. Uh, I even walk my dog, um, you know, journaling a little bit, reading my goals on a daily basis, things like that, just to get your mindset right and to work on yourself first and then get into my day. Right. So any one software tool that helped you to improve your productivity? Software tool. You know, Slack's been a big thing for us that we've been working with with our team. And that's kind of, we work with our underwriter. We send them all the documents through Slack. And it's been a, it's definitely improved our efficiency. The other thing we use a lot is is Google uh, Google Drive um, and Google Sheets, which has done well for us. So any books that impacted your life and what way? Yeah, so a lot of people say uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was actually his cash flow quadrant book that actually changed my life. I still love uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that certainly resonated with me. But when I read Cashflow Quadrant, that's where, you know, a light bulb clicked in my head, just getting over from the um, employee side and small business owner to the investor and um, corporation owner, uh, large corporation owner. Um, I can't remember what that letter was. But um, that book really impacted me and, and wanted me to get over to the right side of the quadrant and uh, really made my, you know, my mindset, uh, it it made me understand a little bit better that I need to become an investor, not not a small business owner or an employee. Great. So one book you'd like to recommend to our listeners and why? Yeah, if it's not the book I already mentioned, which is Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, one book that really blew my mind this year was uh, Shoe Dog by um, Phil Knight. And it's the story of Phil Knight. If you don't know him, he's the owner of Nike. Um, and it was his journey through it. And um, I just thought it was really well written. And I thought that seeing all the trials and tribulations and what he had to go through to build Nike, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand what you have to do to get to that level. And it was a really cool story. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And what is the way you are giving back to community? Yeah, just by providing free content, right? I talked about it earlier. Clear the virtual asset management summit. It's completely free. We're hoping to have over a thousand people attend it. And we're just trying to help people be educated before they get into a space where, you know, we syndicate our deals. And so we have investor money, other people's money involved in these deals. And you really should not be buying apartments 
and managing other people's money until you understand how to run a business and how to manage an apartment um, because it's other people's money's at, at risk. And so we're really passionate about educating others on what to do after you close on the deal. And we're doing that for free. So best way we can connect with you. Yeah, right now it will be at amsummit2020.com, um, which is our asset management summit. And that's, like I said, it's completely free. We've got a Facebook group with the same name, Asset Management Summit. Or you can go to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com. We've got a free passive investors guide out there that we uh, give out to anyone that would like to consume it. Thank you, Kyle. I really enjoyed the conversation and thanks for adding value to the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Rama, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.